Welcome to Understanding the Bible with Pastor Stephen. This is Season 2, Episode 8, Manly Men, Part 2, Blue Collar Workers. So I had received an email about how Christian churches, at least in America, respect or idolize even, maybe, missionaries, pastors, uh, soldiers, firefighters, people who are traditionally putting their lives on the line for others, right? So you, you think of in John where it says, greater love hath no man than this, than, a, than that a man lay down his life for his friend. And while all honor and respect is due for those professions, um, this email was more concerning the fact that uh, it seems Christians do not talk about your normal everyday man very much as far as, uh, you know, your blue collar workers, your electricians, your construction workers, even people in uh, customer service industry, like in the food industry, cooks, waiters, the whole, the whole gamut from, from A to Z of everyday people that are struggling to survive, to put food on the table for their families. Pretty accurate. People don't really talk about that. And that kind of respect that ought to be given to a person who is fulfilling their role as given to them by God. We had talked about godly men in previous episode number six in regards to being wise, being peacemakers, being warriors, uh, how God designed men to have physical strength. We are different than women, our muscle mass, our bone density, and there is a purpose for that. We are to be the providers, the leaders, the strong ones who fight to protect and things like that. This episode is going to focus uh, what a manly man is in regards to those traits and that we ought to give due respect and admiration regular everyday men who are physically strong doing backbreaking manual labor. Not to say that other types of labor are any less, depending on, you know, whether or not you do it with the proper work ethic and all that. But when was the last time that you told your child the garbage collector that came by in the truck was a hardworking man or that he was providing for his family? We don't generally focus on those things. You'll look at a businessman in a suit and a tie and maybe driving a nice car or the banker or the the doctor or something like that. And, and we kind of brush, you know, half of the men in this world or even more than that off to the side as if, you know, they don't matter. Uh, let's get to the point here. In episode t- six, we discussed the wise, the peacemakers and the warriors. And today we're going to be discussing the fact that men must be providers. So since the time of Adam in Genesis three seventeen, God said unto Adam, because thou, thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return." So this is the principle that since the beginning of time, men must be stronger and work hard to provide food. Just merely the idea of tilling the ground, because that is hard labor, right? So the Bible in many places talks about providing for our families. 
not just for ourselves. First uh, Timothy 5.8, it says, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So those who provide for your own, that would be extended family members, um, potentially if you own a business, your employees, your friends that are in need, but especially for those of your own household, you have denied the faith. That is telling us that faith in Jesus Christ, faith in God, requires that we step up and provide for those in our house. And then 1 Corinthians 7.32, But I would have you without carefulness, he that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. That one is clearly telling us that we need to, as men, take care of the needs of our wife. How do you do that? Well, if you are taking care of the needs of this world, that you are working hard to put food on the table, put a roof over her head, provide her with clothes, and maybe some luxuries, right? If you're single, you should be focusing on God. But the primary emphasis here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is that you have two responsibilities. One is to God and the other is to your family, specifically to your wife. And then Proverbs 13, 22 says, a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. That is telling us that a manly man needs to actually invest and store up things for the future so that when you pass on, there is something left for your grandchildren. Now that's hard to do without having some knowledge. What I am saying here on this particular point, as far as being a provider goes, you need to work hard. You need to be strong to till the ground or whatever your particular profession is. And you need to be smart with your money, whether you buy assets, you know, houses and land property that you can pass down to your grandchildren or you invest in the stock market or other things that you can actually pass down some financial uh, wealth. The Bible clearly has that principle throughout from the Old Testament to the New Testament that we should take care of our money. And this is telling us in Proverbs for your grandchildren. So being a provider is one of the greatest responsibilities of a man who's got a family. Well, how do we go about that? Well, that depends on your profession. Number one, as long as you are working, it's honorable. Second Thessalonians 3, 8 says, Neither did we eat any man's bread for nothing, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. So this is talking about Paul. When he was being a missionary, he didn't just stay in people's houses. He stayed up at night working to pay for the housing and the food that they gave him because he didn't want them to lay a charge against him that they had given him free stuff. Verse 9, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. So work, even if you're a preacher, right? For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. So there's another biblical principle. If you're not working, you don't deserve to have the food that you're eating. Kind of indicates begging is, is bad, right? So at the very least, if you're, you're poor and destitute and you need food and you beg, you should offer to work for it. Somebody hands me, you know, a $20 bill at Walmart because I'm in the parking lot begging. I should be like, hey, do you want me to come pull weeds at your house? 
like you should try and do something to earn that money, right? Then verse 11, for we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. So don't go begging and mooching off of other people all the time. Work to, to pay for your own food. So that's honest labor, right? Ephesians 4.28 says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needs. So not only should we work for ourselves and for our families, but we should work with our hands. So there's your manual labor, right? People who are in manual labor jobs are actually doing the honorable work that God talks about in the Bible that you may give to those who need. So we should be generous with our excess. And then, of course, there's a whole principle of giving and tithing and offerings to God where you actually make a sacrifice, which means you're giving not out of your excess, but out of things that you need. So that's a whole nother level and, and sermon there. But understand that the Bible clearly talks about many, many different types of work. Whatever type of work we choose, we should do our best at it, right? Proverbs 14.23 says, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk lends only to poverty. And then Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So there's your work ethic. No matter what your profession, if you have a good work ethic because you're working for God, you're not trying to just please the, the boss. You're trying to please God, which means you're going to be a better worker than most of the other people there, right? Proverbs 12:11 goes towards the agricultural society. It says, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. So that goes to the mentality of the person, right? Are, are you doing a worthless pursuit? Are you spending all your money to go to college to learn basket weaving and then nobody will buy your baskets? Like, is that something that is worthwhile that people need that will pay you money that will support your family? Or are you learning a trade job and, and learning, you know, construction or plumbing or welding or something like that? where maybe you don't have to spend as much money to get that knowledge or you can learn in an apprenticeship or something like that where you can provide your own bread for your family instead of wasting your time and efforts where you don't earn money doing it. So that's something to consider as well. Whatever we do, we need to do it as unto God and not unto men. And Proverbs 6, 6 actually goes back to that last point. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. The fact that an ant works all the time and stockpiles food. Exodus 23, 12 says, Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. So the workers that you have working with you, right? And then look at this next verse. This one is pretty cool because it's talking about learning to be better, educating yourself and excelling so that you can actually move beyond uh, the labor part of it into management. Proverbs 12, 24 says, The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. So if you are diligent at your job, that means you are working, you're being efficient, you're getting things done the right way, you're paying attention to detail. You can move up and become a ruler of the lazy people who don't work as hard. 
And now you're in management. Maybe you've got an office job. Maybe you don't have to go out in the field as often and you get to more do the paperwork and the computer stuff. And it's a little bit easier. You are, you're a ruler or a supervisor now in charge of other people. So that is one trait of a godly man is that you're diligent, right? And if you're lucky and it leads to being a ruler to where you make more money or you're in the right place at the right time, that is actually a blessing. So there's many different types of workers that are mentioned in the Bible, and we don't talk about this often, but Paul was actually a tent maker. He was not just a missionary, okay? He was not just a scholar from the Sanhedrin, you know, in the, uh, the Jewish religion. Acts 18 verse 1 says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So Paul was not merely a missionary. He tried to earn his keep and make tents while he stayed with these people. Most people don't know that. Uh, Genesis 9 verse 20, And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. So Noah raised crops. So being a farmer is a good trade in the Bible. Here's, here's one that I thought was pretty cool. Genesis 10 verse 9 said, He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. Hunting is a good trade. Not very many people do that. But before the Lord, he was a mighty hunter. That means he did it somehow honorably and praising God. Pretty cool. Luke 2.8 shepherds. Shepherds were so honored in God's eyes that he sent angels to tell the shepherds, leave your sheep, go into town and worship the new baby that is born, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Why did he go to shepherds instead of to the Sanhedrin and the, and the holy men of God, supposedly? Because they are just as important. Okay, what about... Uh, in the book of Genesis, there's a lot of uh, cool trades in there, actually, when they start talking about uh, Adam and Eve's sons and then Noah's sons. Genesis 4, verse 20, it says, And Ada bare Jabel, he was the father of such as dwell in tents, and of such as have cattle. So a rancher, right? And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. Musicians are actually a, a good trade in the Old Testament. And Zilla, she also bare Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. So not just a metal worker, brass and iron, but a teacher of those who worked in brass and iron. So their teaching a trade is an honorable thing, according to the Bible. So in all of these things, and there's many more, but just understand that it doesn't matter what your trade is if you do it well. There's lots of things that go into that. I've, I've tried to break it down into one simple trait. Uh, for men of God, it's important that we're strong. That means morally, spiritually, mentally, and physically. Morally, understand that there's a difference between morals and ethics. Morals come from God. It is what is right or wrong regardless of what people say. The actual definition of morals is of or relating to the judgment of right and wrong in human behavior. 
that indicates it comes from God. But ethics, ethics are determined by society. So ethics can change. Laws can change. You know, you look at the ethics of the American Indian Society. A lot of the tribes actually felt that if any stranger um, walked by them that was not of their tribe, they could kill them, scalp them, steal their stuff. And it was actually, you know, a good thing because then they're a great warrior, right? They accumulated things. They showed that they were stronger than the other guy. That was right in their society. So ethics are a set of moral principles, especially relating to a specific group. So each group can have different ethics and their ethics is what they claim is their morality, but it's not, not if it doesn't come from God. So a strong man of God needs to understand that their sense of right and wrong comes from God. Therefore, you need to have knowledge of what God says. Therefore, you need to read the Bible to be a strong moral man. Then you have the whole spiritual aspect there, especially um, in combating evil. And uh, that's in Ephesians chapter six, right? The armor of God and fighting, uh, fighting a spiritual battle. And there's lots of verses that talk about that as well. Um, I've done an episode on we are in a war, spiritual warfare. You can check those out if you want to. But spiritually speaking, men need to be strong and grounded in the foundation of our faith, which is Jesus Christ. So again, you need to read. You need to understand the word of God. You've got to get in the Bible and actually learn what is right and wrong to be a spiritually strong person so that you can discern when you need to do something or the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Then we have our mentality. Uh, strong men need to be mentally strong because how can you be the leader of a family with all the conflicts and all the stress that goes into that with a wife and different children with different personalities and different ways of learning and understanding things? It's tough to be a leader in the home. So you've got to be mentally strong to be a man of God. Don't forget in Matthew 5, Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth. What does that mean? Someone who is meek is someone who has strength and chooses to use it wisely. Strength under control. You know when to fight and you know when to turn the other cheek. The being meek aspect is really physically strong and mentally strong in Matthew chapter 5. And then, of course, we need godly discernment. Romans 12, 2 says, and be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or discern what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you don't train your mind to understand good versus evil, when something is coming from God and what is good and acceptable and perfect, as opposed to the world and what the world wants you to do and how the world wants you to act, right? And then this last one here, being physically strong, I think is, is what the world and the church today has completely gotten away from. We don't talk about men being strong physically, and I think we ought to. It's always been assumed that a man would be strong and able to take care of his family. That's from Genesis 3, when, you know, the tilling the ground that God talked about to Adam. By the sweat of your brow, Right. It's always been understood that men need to be strong and able to do hard work. However, we don't talk about that physical strength in our church today. Consider the different verses. I think you've heard some of these, but uh, servants obey your masters in all things, not with eye services, men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. 
And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. When we do our jobs, if we learn it right, if we're strong and capable and we do it well, that God is pleased with that. And many jobs today require physical strength. There's very few passages like Proverbs 31. There's, there's a few verses here and there, but Proverbs 31 talks about in very elaborate detail about a woman who's like the perfect woman that does everything, right? And it says that she, her price is far above rubies. Verse 16, she considers a field and she buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She girds her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goes not out by night. She laveth her hands to the spindle and her hands hold the distaff. So she's working at night by candlelight. But she intentionally strengthens her arms and gird up, girds up her loins with strength for this woman to work, to plant a vineyard, to, to work hard at night, to be able to make clothes for her children. And, and it goes on and on and on on the things that she does, right? But it takes a strong woman. And that's talking about physical strength for her to be able to do those things. Now, in that day and time when Proverbs 31 was written, very seldom took those roles. So I think it's making a point here. It's very obvious that those roles generally handled by men required strength so that this virtuous woman who was taking on that responsibility needed to intentionally strengthen her body. Physical strength is a must for people who do physical labor. It takes training and discipline. 1 Timothy 4.8, for bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. So there you go. Bodily exercise does profit. It's good for you to do bodily exercise. But what is more important for God is godliness. So understand that while I'm talking about all these things, we're not disregarding the spiritual aspect of things. If you are in the Bible and you're getting the meat of the word from reading and praying and going to church and talking to fellow believers, then you should also be doing bodily exercise. First Corinthians nine twenty five, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beats the air and wasting your hand movements as you run, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection or discipline lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So he understands what it takes to be an athlete. And he says he brings his body under subjection. He disciplines himself. So there's many different ways, spiritually, maybe in what he eats, as well as his exercise and so on. But we need to understand that we need to get physically fit as a man of God. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. There's many verses in the Bible about your body being the temple and how you need to take care of it, right? But think about this. When God created Adam and Eve, they were perfect in the Garden of Eden, right? You think Adam was obese? I think not. I, I, what do you think of when you think of the perfect specimen of man with no blemishes, no flaws? He's perfect. You don't think of an obese man sitting on a couch. You think of a chiseled, muscular man, right? He's perfect. His muscles are toned. Everything was perfectly aligned and in place and doing exactly what it was designed for. And our muscles are designed to grow and lift heavy things. Anyways, 
your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. First Corinthians 619. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We should not merely work on our spirit, our soul, and sp supernatural things with the Bible and being religious and all of those the things that go along with that. Glorify God in your body. It's not yours. We need to be careful with our body. Now, here's something I saw from uh, menofgrit.blog, and it said, I would venture to say poor diet and a lack of exercise cause far more damage to Christian men's bodies than smoking and excessive alcohol consumption. Think about how many Christian men you know that smoke and drink large amounts of alcohol. You probably don't know that many, right? If any. Now, think about how many Christian men you know that are in poor physical shape. My guess is you can name quite a few. We know this is the case. How many times do we hear this issue being addressed within the context of becoming strong Christian men? Does that make sense? We do more to damage the temple of the Holy Ghost through poor diet and a lack of exercise than any other way. And yet we rarely talk about it. Proverbs 23, 20 says, Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh, for the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Are you lazy? Are you fat? That's not honoring the temple of the Holy Ghost. That's not giving glory to God through the body that is not yours. Glorify God in your body, right? So an intelligent person will try to be strong, not weak. Proverbs 24, 5, A wise man is strong, a man of knowledge increaseth strength. For by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and in a multitude of counselors there is safety. Wisdom multitude of counselors understands the need for increasing your strength, especially when it comes to war. Go figure. Who would have thought that a warrior needs to be strong, right? But a wise man is a warrior. Now, next time that you see a buff muscle bound dude walking down the street, maybe the idea of admiration is a godly thing. Maybe we ought not to put down people who train their bodies. Maybe that ought to be something that we teach our sons is a desirable trait. Not that you focus only on the body. Don't forget that verse about the spirit side, this, your spirit as well. Remember, bodily exercise is not as good as spiritual exercise. Okay, so don't get me wrong here. But it is good. And the Bible talks about it. So here's a, an old Latin phrase that I like to use is civis pacum parabellum. It means if you want peace, prepare for war. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. If you want to be meek, to not use strength, to not fight, to make peace with your enemies, blessed are the peacemakers, right? The only way a strong bully will listen to you is if you are stronger. So you must prepare for war and be ready to fight if you want peace. Then you can be meek and you might actually win. So here's a few examples of men of God that were strong. And I don't know why we don't talk about this more often as physical strength being something to be desired in men. Samson, he was one of the judges in the book of Judges. God actually gave him supernatural strength. He was extremely strong. If Men being buff and strong was wrong. Why would God specifically give that gift to
to one of his judges. It's not wrong. That's the clear answer. It's not wrong. It's actually a good thing when used righteously. So be strong. What about David? Remember David and Goliath, right? And then they, they sang songs about him later when he uh, had learned war and actually went out and fought battles. Uh, what was it? Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. Psalm 144 one says, A psalm of David, Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. A strong, capable warrior is a man of God. I'm not saying you need to be soldiers. I'm saying you need to not be fat and lazy. I'm not a big buff dude, right? I, I weigh like 190 pounds. I'm five foot 10. I'm not saying that everybody has to be a warrior, but understanding that physical strength and the capability to defend others, to defend your family, to fight for what God has given you, to stand up and fight for what is right, truth and justice all of those things, God uses good, capable Christian men. If the only strong people in the world are evil people, how do you think the world's going to be? Right? Now, here's another one, too. And people don't think about this. Jesus, he was a carpenter's son. What was carpentry back in that day? Was it just wood? Or was it also masonry, stonework, maybe? I would venture to say, regardless of what it was, Jesus, having trained as an apprentice under his father, the carpenter's son, right? He would know that trade. Carpenters are generally strong dealing with logs and heavy wood and maybe furniture or what have you, especially if he did deal with stone. And we know he was strong because he went into the temple and he overthrew the tables in the temple. They weren't the cheap plastic fold up, fold up tables that we have today. They were either heavy, solid wood or they were stone tables and Jesus overturned them. Jesus was strong. Don't forget also one of the last things Jesus told his disciples before uh, he was put to death was buy a sword. Luke twenty two thirty six. Then saith he unto them, but now he that has a purse, let him take it and likewise his scrip. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. So he was not saying go buy a Bible they didn't have it. He was saying, buy a physical sword. That's what you do with money is you buy physical things. So was he telling his disciples that, you know, you should buy a sword because bad times are coming and you're going to have to defend yourself. But I want you to be fat and lazy and slow and don't train with it so that when you pull it out, they kill you because they see your sword. Now that indicates in there that you're going to buy a sword, learn how to use it and be physically fit so that you don't die. So that you can actually defend people and help people. Right now, there's lots of Bible verses I've covered in the last three episodes about the type of people that we're supposed to help the fatherless and the widows. You're supposed to be a strong man of your house. You're supposed to defend your, um, your family. You're even allowed to defend your goods. If a person comes into your house at night, you're allowed to kill them according to the old Testament. There's many reasons why we fight the, the Bible. Jesus himself spoke to two different Roman soldiers and called them men of faith who believed in him. And he told them to be good to the soldiers that were under them. So being a strong soldier who's physically fit and knows how to use a weapon is well within what Jesus instructed his disciples to do. Look, look at Gideon, the man of war. Remember how uh, he had uh, 22,000 soldiers to go up against, uh, I think it was the Ammonites, I'm not sure, 
uh, but look in the book of Judges, I believe it's chapter seven. And God weeded out those who were scared or didn't want to be there, didn't have their heart in it, right? Then God told him, that's still too many people. So I want you to go down and drink water out of the creek. And I want you to look around, instruct all your men to drink water. And the ones that are looking around and alert and paying attention, looking for the enemy, because you're in war right now, who dip their hand into the water and lift it up to their mouth, those are the ones that you're going to fight with. And God used those men, those who were ready, who had trained, were prepared for combat, who were also intelligent. God used them to fight and win the war. Only 300. So just understand this. The conclusion of all this is that men of God must be providers. Very few people are called to be warriors or soldiers. Unlike in the Old Testament, uh, the Israelites who had to fight to live on their land, all able-bodied men of a certain age had to train with a sword to be called up when needed. They were a militia, right? We don't live like that in America very often. There's a few people that do, but it's not much. We, we're not in danger of being having to fight and, and kill every day. So we are not necessarily called to be warriors and soldiers. Very few of us are called to be pastors. But we do all, as believers in Jesus Christ, have to be a witness. The great commission that Jesus gave to us said to tell the whole world about Jesus Christ. So God's not telling everyone to be a pastor or a soldier. Like 98% of the people that Jesus talked to was not those people, right? but he still gave them the great commission. So whatever your profession, you must be an intelligent, strong provider for you, your family, your grandchildren. And in the process of doing that, you have to be a witness to other people. So be a provider and start focusing on training to be strong physically, mentally, spiritually, morally, and do not forsake the physical part. You're just a normal guy. One of the 98% that Jesus talked to while he was here on earth, and you've got a regular job and you have to take care of the things of this world as first Corinthians seven says, because you have a family, take heart, understand that no matter your profession, you can fulfill God's purpose for your life by being strong being good at your job because you're doing it for God and to provide for your family. So if you have any questions, as always, you can email me at angrypatriot42 at yahoo.com. And until next time, may God bless you.